0: LJ, thank you so much for coming onto Life School, and hello everybody. Today we have a special guest, LJ Jones, who is a financial planner, um, and we're going to be talking about how to improve your relationship with money. So to kick this off, I just want to share why I thought this was worth putting on Life School, and there's sort of two main reasons. One is um, I get a lot of requests from our community to do more on personal finance. It's, I'd say it's the number one most requested topic to dive into, and then You know, just to be completely honest, I'd say I personally feel pretty um, uncomfortable talking about money. In fact, I would say I've been sort of dreading this conversation and nervous. I left all the prep work to the last minute. I am really uncomfortable talking about money. And I think it's one of the reasons that I haven't spent much time on this topic, learning about it um, or diving into it with life school. So I'm a believer in facing your fears. And I think it might be time to do that. Some context here. LJ reached out to me on Twitter and wrote me the most lovely note. I have it here. It says, hey, Michelle, my name is LJ and I live in the Bay Area. I love what you're trying to start in edtech with life school. I'm a financial planner who loves to educate people on personal finance. I'm also a math tutor for K through 12 students. I believe education can be so much better than it is. And I think technology is a tool that can really help take education to the next level. I'd love to be a resource for you. If you're interested, let me know how I can help. So we had a call, I believe about a week ago. And when I spoke with LJ, his passion for this topic was absolutely palpable. And I believe you will also feel the same from him listening to him today. Um, quick background on LJ. He was a financial analyst, then an advisor, and now he's founding his own financial planning firm. So LJ, to kick us off um, today, I'd love if you could share what it is about money that gets you so excited? And maybe related to that, what led you to become a financial advisor?
1: Yeah, thanks for that. I think kind of what originally started me is something that you just mentioned, which is this uncomfortability with talking about money. I was raised with two parents who were in f- the world of finance, but we came from they came from the South and the Midwest. And so having conversations about money was almost taboo. We didn't, uh, you know, we never asked my parents what they were doing with their money, how much they made anything like that. And so going through life, I I had a pretty good understanding of money, but I was always had this notion of not wanting to talk about money. And, you know, as I got into college, I I went through a, a master's program in accounting, I became a CPA and people started to come to me, friends and stuff, asking questions. And I started to see that there was this huge problem where I'm not the only one who had struggled talking about money and everyone kind of feels uncomfortable about it. And then you throw that in with kind of the complexity of personal finance and all the things that go into it. And you start to see that without having these conversations, it's really hard for someone to succeed financially. Um, Some people do. Some people get really lucky. Uh, Other people put a lot of time and effort into figuring out everything from their taxes to investing to managing their uh, income and how much they pay for rent, whether they buy a home, what insurance do they need. All of these things together, it was just a huge opportunity I could see to help people um, and really bring my skill set and start off initially with just having these conversations and then working our way to, okay, now that I understand how you feel about money and your thoughts on money, now we can start to kind of be more technical and really try to address each of the problems that you have and set yourself up for opportunities further down the road.
0: Nice. Um, All right, so my next question for you Mm -hmm. is, if our power were to go out in the next five minutes and we can't finish our call, What is the one thing that you want people to hear or take away from this recording? Mm.
1: I would say the number one thing I want people to take away from this is to not view money as a goal. Uh, I think a lot of people think if I have a million dollars, 10 million dollars, 100 million dollars, then life will be okay. And they always equate success or this feeling of happiness or status, whatever it may be, to a certain dollar amount. And I would like people to take away that that's not what's important. What's really important here is that you view money as a tool. So what really when people are saying, once I have $10 million, I'll be happy, they're really saying I can then afford a lifestyle that I find really valuable. And so if people instead see money as a tool to get those things that make us happy instead of a goal, I think people will come away having a much more comfortable relationship with money and feeling more open to talk about money.
0: All right. So, before we go too much further on that topic, can you tell us what is money and why do we have it?
1: Yeah. So, money in a general sense is it helps with exchanging. Um, I like to think of it as if we were stranded on an island, you, me, and someone else. You know, we'd have to set up an economy there because, you know, someone would need to get food, someone would need to prepare food maybe, um, and somebody might want to set up a shop selling coconuts to us. And when we think about it, if, you know, somebody's setting up this shop where they sell coconuts and I'm making food, but I don't like coconuts, there's no way for him to ever get food from me. And, you know, he can try and live off coconuts, but he probably wants something else to that. And so in a kind of complex economy, we all have these skills and everything. And, you know, my skill might be personal finance, but if somebody isn't looking for personal finance, there's no way for me to get the resources I need if it's a farmer or something and I need food. And so in order to make these transactions go easily throughout economies, we have this thing called money. And to each of us, a dollar bill means something different um to me maybe that dollar bill is that bottle of water that i'm really thirsty for to other people that dollar may be a tank of gas so they can go see their family money's this really awesome thing because in a sense all it is is a piece of paper but what it really represents to each of us is what we want uh whatever that might be or what whatever we need and so it helps us within a kind of a complex economy to be able to exchange these things and always kind of get what we want in exchange for whatever we can offer.
0: So what is the point of accumulating money? And relatedly, can you ever have enough money?
1: (laughs) Uh, I would like to believe that everyone can find enough money. Um, You know, the point of accumulating money is... We have these dreams and these ambitions in our life, and there's all these things that we want to achieve. And the reason we accumulate money is to help us achieve those things. So if you ever want to take a trip to Europe, you would save up money and maybe you save a couple thousand dollars and you could finally take that trip to Europe and go do things. Uh, in that instance, that's probably enough money. Now, when we're talking about somebody who's planning to live. 80, 90, hopefully 100 years. There's a lot of things that we want to do between now and at the end of our lives. And so we accumulate this money once so we can pay for the wants and needs that we have currently, but also afford everything that we want to do in life. And I do think that at some point you can accumulate more than you will ever need. Um, I think of the ultra billionaires and I can't help but feel like after a certain point, you can only buy so many yachts um, before you kind of check that uh, dream and ambition off of your list. And so I do think there is enough, but I think it's dependent on everyone. You know, I have a friend who he lives out in Moab. He is a river raft instructor in the summer, and he's a ski instructor in the winter. He lives in a van. And every time I see him, he is just so happy with his life. He has no other Desires really, besides the life that he's living, it's kind of just like I'm looking forward to the next season. And in that respect, I would say that he already has enough. And then I see other people who do want to travel the world. Maybe they do want to have a boat or buy that really nice car. And to them, enough is probably a little bit higher of a value. And that's okay. It really comes down to each of us and what we think is enough. And then once we get there, the real challenge is once you reach enough, not Moving the goalposts and saying, oh, I have a million dollars. I found out that's not enough. Here's 2 million because people have this tendency to always kind of look for the bigger fishbowl and if we can just be comfortable and happy with the lifestyle that we have, then enough is a lot more attainable than people think it is.
0: That's the perfect segue into the next question, which is. What is the connection between money and happiness? I know this is something you're particularly passionate about. Um, Some context for whoever's listening. LJ sent me a lot of homework for this talk (laughs) and um, many studies about money and happiness. And something more contradictory. Can you share some of your thoughts on this topic?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Like I said earlier, money is a tool. And really it's a tool to bring value to our life and bring happiness to our life. Arguably through every conversation I've had with people, this is kind of the primary thing we always settle on is I want to be happy. And so everything that we do usually with money is to be happier. And I, it's always funny cause I see people who work in really high paying jobs and they're miserable and it blows my mind because they're making all this money to be happy. And it turns out it's not making them happy because they're not using that money to increase their happiness. And so I wanted to really understand this better. And so I looked at a few studies that were done and there's a really famous study that was put out a while ago. And it basically found that for most of the developed world, after somebody hits about $75,000 of annual income, they really reach a point where they're about as happy as they're ever going to be. And so this was really interesting and it kind of, you know, made people think of, okay, where is enough? Is $75,000, it takes care of kind of your basic needs and you have everything. But do we really think someone making $75,000 is really as happy as someone who has a million dollars and never really has any worries or $10 million or whatever it may be. And, you know, it made people kind of question what is the connection of value to money. So there was another study done where they did roughly the same, uh, study, but instead of giving people a survey and saying, looking back on your life, are you happy today with where you are financially and whatever else it is? They handed people this app where it would ping them a couple times a day over the weeks and ask them in the moment, are you happy? And they tried to measure basically based on people's income how that affected their happiness. And they found that happiness continues to increase as income increases. And they also found out that negative emotions, sadness, anxiety, depression, things like that, also decreased with uh, money. So it kind of blew out the notion of, well, after $75,000, you can't be any happier. And it said, no, you will be happier And so when you look at these two studies, you find some really interesting things. The first one is that first study really asked people looking back on your life. Are you happy at this point in your life? And it was kind of a subjective yes or no question. And if someone said yes, then that's where they found kind of that $75,000 cutoff. And then the next study was always asking people, are you happy? Rate how happy you are, things like that. And they found that happiness keeps going up. And so I think this is really interesting because it says that at $75,000, people are happy with their life. Um, you know, if you answer, yes, I'm happy, you can't, you know, a person making $75,000 and a person making $160,000 will both say yes. But obviously, and you can't obviously say I'm doubly happy. At one hundred sixty thousand, then seventy five thousand, because that's not what the survey was asking. But when they started to be more incremental with their understanding of where happiness is, they can see it keep growing. And so I think this is something for people to think about when you talk about what is enough. And if your goal is to be happy, then maybe seventy five thousand dollars is enough to be happy. Um, But if you keep earning more money, you know you will also be happy with that as well. And one more. Thing that came out of that survey was they also asked people, do you believe that money defines, your, defines you as successful? And what they found was people who viewed money as an indicator of success were less happy when they didn't have money and were not, and were happier when they had more money. And those people who said money doesn't define me as a success were more happy when they didn't have money And they were not as happy when they did have more than $75,000. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those things where if you can frame your relationship with money and say money doesn't define me, your ability to be more happy is less dependent on how much money you make. And I think that's really powerful for a lot of people, especially when we talk about what is enough.
0: So relatedly to money and happiness, one of the documents you sent me had a quiz that um, enabled you to answer a bunch of questions about your money scripts, sort Mm -hmm. of the way you think about money, Mm -hmm. and then score yourself according to four different um, characteristics, I would call them. Money avoidance, money worship, money status, and money vigilance. Could you walk us through what these terms mean? Money avoidance, money worship, money status, money vigilance.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So there was some research done, I believe it was out of Kansas state, uh, where they looked at what are the mindsets people have around money? We all kind of have this idea of what money is and they tried to identify kind of some general overreaching mindsets that we have. And so the first one that they talk about is money avoidance. And these are usually people who view money as something that's bad or they don't deserve the money. Um, and they kind of see it as money creates this anxiety in them. There's disgust with people. Um, they try to avoid anything that they can do to be financially successful because um, they're afraid of what, might, what they might be like if they had money. The other one is money worship. And these things, uh, it's a very actually American way of looking at money. And it basically thinks that, you know, increases them income, uh, large inheritances, whatever it is, maybe winning the lottery will solve all of their problems. And so they're always chasing after this money to try and basically solve their problems. And they think money is what's going to solve their problems. Money status is something like someone who's concerned about their self-worth and their net worth. So they're thinking, I'm not successful if I don't have money. And so they, these are usually the people who will buy really flashy cars, flashy watches, um, are showing off their really rich homes and all of these things because they're trying to show other people that, you know, who I am is successful. I have status and everything because I have money. And the final one is money vigilance. And money vigilants are the people who are very alert and concerned about money. Um, on an extreme example, it's somebody who is comparing two different kinds of orange juices at the grocery store to see which one is cheaper or which one gives you the most benefits per ounce, whatever that may be. And so with all, in all of these money mindsets, people can share bits and pieces of them. Some people can be just only in one mindset, Um, and people can change in these uh, mindsets, but they're actually really ingrained within us. There's a really interesting study that I saw PBS uh, was talking about, and at age three, we kind of have a grasp of what money is, and by age seven, our understanding of money and how it affects us through the rest of our lives is pretty much put in place. And so these money mindsets are actually kind of ingrained in us before we're even really aware of what money is. And so we have this opportunity in life to change which mindset we have, but we have to be very conscious of it. And kind of putting names and descriptions to these money mindsets, it's usually the first step towards making a change to any of these uh, different mindsets.
0: All right, so I took this quiz this morning I'm a little concerned about my scores. Okay, what should I do?
1: Um, just out of curiosity, what uh, what did you score? Which mindsets did you score highest?
0: I scored high on money avoidance, money worship, and money vigilance.
1: Okay, and how does that make you feel? Do you feel like that was pretty accurate?
0: I feel like I just recognized that i have some um i mean even just answering the questions was so fascinating can i just read a couple of the questions i'm going to read a couple of the questions aloud so you're supposed to rank each of these there were 51 questions between one which is strongly disagree and six which is strongly agree Mm. um you know i'll just i'll read the first couple i do not deserve a lot of money when others have less than me things would get better if i had more money most poor people do not deserve to have money. You should not tell others how much money you have or make. Rich people are greedy. More money will make you happier. You can have love or money but not both. It is wrong to ask others how much money they have or make. It is not okay to have more than you need. There will never be enough money. I mean just answer, just even going through these questions was very eye-opening. Um I think I I recognize I think I um something that I I feel like I became aware of in answering these questions is that I simultaneously have some obsessions about frugality. Mm-hmm. Like I tend to um really try to be frugal, maybe in ways that are counterproductive Um, and then additionally kind of have this anxiety of like, well, what's the world going to be like in the future and how much money will we need to have health care or, you know, avoid climate change or. Things like that. It's less of an interest in luxury. I think it's more a fear. Mm -hmm. Um, That's I feel like I maybe shared a little too much here, but those are just some of the things that came to mind for me. No, like a little bit irrational, some irrational fears.
1: mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it's great that you shared this. This kind of gets back to the point of we don't have these conversations about money, and so we don't even know how other people feel about money and i completely agree with you a lot of the things you said i i personally have too i you know i am a very frugal person but at the same time i do kind of wonder going forward you know what do i need how much money do i need to be okay and i'm very concerned about other people too i i don't think that money is a thing to be hoarded um i think especially if you're financially successful giving away some of that money to other people is also really helpful and when you look through this research they kind of were saying the most successful and happiest people were the ones who were money vigilant the ones who were very aware of their money always and the other three they said are kind of detrimental to your financial success but i think that's only when you're looking at your own financial success and i think things like money avoidance or it can actually be really helpful because i think it helps give people more of a charitable streak where they do want to give back some of their money to other people they they realize that hoarding it all to themselves is actually not who they want to be and so that can actually be a good thing in terms of charitable giving.
0: What would you recommend for people who are recognizing that they have some discomfort, some gaps in their knowledge, and want to learn more or deal with these feelings?
1: Yeah. So I think that sometimes we don't take enough time to think about how we feel about money, and we don't ever have conversations with other people. And so these uh, thoughts that we have are kind of buried down deep in in us. And once we kind of look at them, uh, we can start facing them. And these money mindsets are really powerful because they put names and they put descriptions to each of these feelings that we have. And so once we identify and are aware of what our mindsets are, we can actually be more actionable about it. Once you're aware of this, it doesn't mean that you're going to be stuck in these mindsets forever, but you do have to be very intentional going forward if you wanna change those mindsets. And I will say that I believe it is better to have parts of all of these mindsets. So it's not a bad thing that you may be scored high on money worship, money avoidance, and money vigilance. That kind of forms who we are. If you're only in one category, it's, then it depends on which category you're in. Uh, this study found that people who are money vigilant will be the most financially successful and have kind of the most fulfilling life. And that's because they're very conscious about where their money is, And they usually spend their money on things that align with their values. So they usually are spending money in valuable ways. If they enjoy traveling, they're much more likely to save and spend on traveling. Whereas people solely in money status, money, worship and money avoidance, you know, they might really want to travel. So they go somewhere that's maybe very beautiful and they can show it off on Instagram and stuff. And maybe that's not truly what they find valuable. Maybe they really like to hike or something, but they're kind of going to an island to take pictures and make it seem to other people that they're successful. Um, and so I like it when people have a little bit of everything. You know, money avoidance, it's, it can almost seem like a bad thing because people believe that money is bad and they don't deserve money. But I actually really like when people have a little bit of avoidance in their money mindset because it kind of gives them this opportunity to be more charitable. Uh, they believe that not all that money should be for them. And so they do want to give that money in ways that are really impactful and can help other people. And so I always like to see that as a component in their mindset. And money worship is a very American ideal. Um, there is a bit of understanding that, you know, the more money you make is kind of an indicator of how successful you are. There is some relationship there, but it can be detrimental if it's to an extreme where They tie income and inheritances, and winning the lottery was solving their problems. And to some degree, money does solve problems. Uh, Like I referenced in those studies earlier, if you had under $75,000, you were not as happy as you could have been, because there's problems that come up. Uh, An unexpected car repair can be really detrimental to you. So having that understanding that to some degree money does help solve problems is really healthy. But if it becomes an extreme point to where somebody keeps getting more and more money and they don't ever address their problems or they don't ever spend it to kind of help themselves, that can be really detrimental. And so I actually think that your money mindsets of avoidance, worship, and vigilance are actually really healthy as a combination because you probably are somebody who does like to give to those less fortunate. I think life school is an example of that where you're trying to give back and help people as much as possible and use some of your money to, you know, help people in that respect. Money worship can be really helpful because you do understand to some degree, I'm going to need money to solve some of my problems here. And then money vigilance is arguably the greatest indicator of your own personal financial success. And so being vigilant of that money kind of allows you to be more charitable, to put money towards your businesses. Um, And Yet you're still really intentional about how your money is being used. So I think that's really good. And I don't think that there's any issues that I would see in your answers and how you scored on the test.
0: Interesting. It's so funny. I just assumed if you have a high score, it's bad. But <laughs> you've really had me reframe this. <laughs> um, so how thank good. you. And for anyone listening, we'll link this quiz to the show notes for this. And um, actually, that's a perfect segue. LJ, how um, how can people learn more about these topics? What do you recommend? I mean, you're a financial planner. Maybe it'd also be helpful if you talk about what do financial planners do? Um, and if if people want to explore this more, what resources can they dive into?
1: Absolutely. So obviously, the, the greatest resource for any personal finance is Google. If you ever have any questions, uh, type it into Google. See what people have there. Um, Me personally, I try to write a weekly blog where I take some idea and I try and write about it. So anyone who has that question can answer that. And there are a ton of resources out there for people looking to answer specific money questions. But there's also different kinds of people out there when it comes to managing their finances. There are people who they don't want to listen to anyone. They're like, I'm the smartest person in the room or I'm really smart and I can figure this out. And so they're going to just go through Google and find all of these things. There are people who I call them validators and they are people who are like, I think I'm doing the right things financially. I don't really talk about it with people. I, I briefly kind of looked things up on Google, so I, I don't feel like I'm doing the wrong thing, but I really would like somebody to maybe, maybe a subject matter expert to kind of look in and say, yeah, you're doing the right thing or, Ooh, I don't think I would do that. Change this. And then finally, there's people who I call delegators who are just like, "Uh, this isn't interesting to me. I don't really care about certain tax deductions and whether my portfolio is properly diversified. I want to go to somebody who understands this and really likes this. And I think this is where financial planning fits in. As a financial planner, I'm someone who has been in the finance world, has studied it, who spends a lot of my free time, even looking at financial papers, understanding personal finance, understanding tactical things that you can do to make better financial decisions. And I really look for those people who are validators and delegators. They are the people who know they're maybe not the most experience and either don't want to go through Google or don't trust that whatever they find in Google is truly the best advice. And when you come to a financial planner, what we do is we sit you down and really the first couple of meetings, we don't even talk about different ways to invest or anything like that. It's really about what you want out of life. Are you somebody who likes to travel? Are you somebody who wants to buy a home? Do you want to spend more time with friends and family? Whatever it may be, that's what's the most valuable thing. And that's where you use money as a tool to achieve those things. So once we identify that, then we go and we build this financial plan that kind of covers everything from taxes to insurance to managing your cash flow and investing, and we kind of all pull all those things together to achieve the things that are most important to you. And so it's this really awesome thing because it's very personalized. When you go on Google and you type in things, there's usually this general advice of don't spend more than thirty percent of your rent on uh, or of your income on rent. And maybe for somebody who like their house is like the coolest thing ever, they want to live on the ocean and that's all they want out of life, then they probably can't afford to live on the ocean if they only spend 30% of their income. And so with financial planning, we can say, you know, that advice is good for most people, but for you, let's spend 50% or 40% or whatever it takes to get you near the ocean or on the ocean so that you can live that life that's really full. And I love being a financial planner because everyone that I talk to has these new ideas about what they want to achieve in life, what they want to do. And they all have these sets of issues, concerns, uncertainty in their life that makes it really fun and rewarding to take all this information in and then build something that really helps people. And I also want to say that financial planning is not this one-time thing. I... You know, maybe it's not the greatest selling point, but I know the minute that I give you the plan, it's probably going to be wrong very soon. The future is wildly uncertain. And looking back on our lives, there's probably things that we wanted five years ago that we no longer want or things that we wanted as a child. And then we got and now we're like, "Ah, that that really wasn't what I wanted. Now looking out, uh, I want to buy a house in San Francisco for example. And, you know, this is always changing. Our lives are always changing and our wants and needs are also always changing. And so the, the great thing about financial planning is the plan is always changing too. And it allows us to go through life, always having these action items that can help us achieve what we currently want. But it builds in this flexibility to pivot and change when our life changes. And, Unfortunately, when you do it yourself, you almost don't anticipate your life changing or making these changes. And I see a lot of times where people were gung-ho about a certain goal and then their life changes and then they're like, well, shoot, I don't really have a means to turn it around or make changes. And so that's why I love financial planning is we just can help people see all of these things in a more objective way um, because they're they're otherwise people are really close to it. Um I I work a lot with lawyers and I, I notice for lawyers, one of the big pieces of advice you get in law school is, you know, you don't represent yourself in court, even though you're a lawyer and you can, you don't want to, because you're so close to the issue. You can't be objective about how you're seeing it. And that's the same with our finances. There's a lot of emotions there. There's a lot of concerns and uncertainty and they may be rational. They may be irrational. And having that third party as a financial planner to understand all of those uncertainties and those desires and dreams, and then being objective and setting kind of a plan and everything that really kind of tries and cuts through all of that to achieve what we really want, I think is extremely powerful.
0: That, that's awesome explanation. Thank you. Um, of course, I guess just to wrap us up, uh, Are there any books you would recommend for people who are interested in starting to explore their relationship with money?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think the the best book out right now is it's called The Psychology of Money. It's written by Morgan Housel, and it does an amazing job of going through all the ways that people see money. And you'll you'll hear some really funny stories, and you'll also read some things that are really thought-provoking about how you yourself uh, view money. And while not a book, I, I totally agree with you that that quiz on understanding your money mindset is incredibly powerful. Once you can put terms to how you feel about money, uh, it kind of opens up a, a new pathway for you to explore more and be more aware of your spending and how you view money going forward. And ultimately, all that can do is make your relationship with money more healthy. So uh, definitely read about as much as you can. Um, and then really try to implement however you want to feel about money into your life because it's not easy but it can be done.
0: Awesome. All right. I will link um I will link the various documents and that book into the show notes here. Any closing words or final thoughts you want to share LJ?
1: Uh just a thank you for letting me on here. I think that this is a great example of trying to have these conversations about money and I think You know, as Life School maybe does more on personal finance, it's just going to make more and more people comfortable with talking about money. And that can only be a good thing when we talk about money. Now, it doesn't mean you should take the advice of your uncle at the dinner table telling you to invest in a certain stock. But it does mean that if you are having these conversations, you know, you're aware of it and you're willing to learn. And I think that that's really important. So I think just always be open-minded, be really interest interested in your personal finance um i know it's not always super interesting to everyone but at the same time this kind of funds everything that we want to do in life and it's this tool to help us achieve everything that we want in life and so it's a really important thing to talk about and think of i i can't think of anything else that's as important to all of our lives that we're like scared to talk about um when i hear people have business ideas and stuff they can't wait to tell you about them but when it comes to money and what they want to achieve in their life they're like "Ooh, i don't want to talk about that so you know be open about having these conversations and uh just stay interested that's all i can say
0: i love that well just like our first conversation i'm feeling very inspired to learn more i bet other people will be as well thank you so much for coming on to speak and i think we can wrap there
1: of course thanks for having me
0: i enjoyed this